right, so you can turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 2 through 6 tonight. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, it's okay. They should be um, behind me on the screen. Um, but tonight, um, you know, tonight's subject matters are prayer and evangelism. And I feel like if there's any two subjects that Christians tend to get down on themselves about, it's prayer and evangelism. And I'm preaching on both of them tonight. Uh, but I think that we, we tend to, to dread these subject matters because we, we think about them all wrong. We, our default is to think about them from a, what you would call a works perspective in terms of, you know, I need to be doing a better job at this in order to be a good Christian. And, you know, and I, I catch myself in that line of thinking all the time. When we did our three circles training, I think it was about a year ago now, uh, with, you know, with the bands we, we wore, and, um, man, I came out the gate running. I was sharing, sharing three circles like five times a day some days. And uh, was just, right, that's a lot of circles. So I was running circles around the, the three circles. But, uh, but then about three or four weeks in, like I hit this wall, like this, emotional, spiritual wall where I just, I, I struggled to open my mouth, whether it's fear, whether it's complacency, I just wasn't sharing with anyone, and uh, was that spiritual attack? I mean, probably, uh, maybe, but um, at the very least, what I learned from that is that my worth is not in how well I'm doing it, sharing the gospel. My worth is in being a son a son by Christ's righteousness. You know, we've, we might approach these subject matters and it's easy to see how we fall short in them and, and we might approach them thinking, I need to do better in order to be a good Christian. But the truth is, there are no good Christians, only a good Christ. There are no good Christians, only a good Christ. And we, I want us to keep this as our foundation as we come to this subject, that, that we are not accepted based on what we've done or how we're doing but based on Christ and what he has done. The Bible commands that we pray without ceasing. There was not a moment that Jesus was not in constant communion with his Father. Unless you want to count the cross where the, the Father was, had turned his face away in Jesus, from Jesus and, and was turned towards him in judgment. But even then, Jesus was crying out to the Father. And with regard to evangelism, there was never a moment that Jesus was not glad to share the Father's love with the world. But we often do fail to seek after God, right? We often are not eager to share the Father in spite of his overwhelming commitment to us, his unwavering commitment to us. But Jesus has already been judged for that. Um, you know, one of the words that, that we use to, to describe the gospel, one of these packed words that says a lot about the gospel is propitiation. I know, you know, Brett gets on these kicks where he's really excited about stuff, and Jason Engel did a teaching recently, gospel, it was, was it last Thursday? This past week, okay. I missed it, schedule conflict, but I heard Brett pitch it about five or six times, because it was really good, apparently, right? And one of the things that, um, that Jason, one of the words that Jason Engel uses to describe the gospel is propitiation, and propitiation is one of these packed words that, where the judgment on that lamb is so complete there is nothing further to judge. And, Christ, and God sees only the righteousness of Christ when he looks on us. 
And because of the righteousness of Christ, there is only favor, favor, favor towards us. And because of Christ's work, we are new creations with new standing. We are sons and daughters. The Father's love is forever secure towards us. We are accepted as sons and daughters. And now, so now with that as our foundation, we get to play a role in in seeking after the Father that he would change people's eternities. And we get to participate in his plan, um, God being pleased to use us to save souls, use us as his instruments and his plan to save souls. As well, we are now joined to this diverse body with each of us a role to play. Some of us are gardeners, some of us harvesters. Uh, many of us, I think, are probably gardeners where we, our role is to plant a seed, get people thinking. Our role is to, to water those seeds, to encourage that growth. Our, our role is to, to do the work of weeding, of, of pulling away those objections and, and competing cares. And others are harvesters. They, they close the deal and they, they pluck the fruit when it's ripe and ready to fall. Not all of us are harvesters, okay? And that, that is okay, and that is good in God's design. We each have a role to play in Christ's body, and we're to play that role faithfully. So, as we come to the passage, I want us to keep the gospel as our foundation that we are accepted sons and daughters, based on what Jesus has done. And as sons and daughters to the Father, we are also growing we are growing. And so as we read these commands tonight, you might um, recognize that you fall short in, if, of a great number of them. And that's okay. It's well and good to recognize where we fall short, but don't stay there dwelling on how you fall short. Recognize that, that you are forgiven, that, that Christ has cleared all your guilt and he has given you his righteousness. He has put you to death to that old guy stuff and now you are alive with him. He is alive in you, and he is, he is being formed in you. He, he's, he's growing through you. And you are becoming like Christ. This, you might feel like this, I'm so far from being this, this person. Well, this is who you're becoming. This is who the Father is raising you up to be. So, long introduction, but let's, let's get to it. Um, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Christ, would you be magnified in our hearing tonight? And would you grow us up as your brothers and sisters? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Paul, what he, what he does here is he gives us, and he gives us two manners in which we are to pray, three, three ways that we, how we are called to pray. And then he gives us two ways uh, of, of what we're called to pray for, and then he, he ends by giving us some wisdom on how to engage with outsiders, with those who are outside of the fold, outside of the family, outside of the covenant promises uh, who we are seeking to bring inside. The first way that he calls us to pray is constantly. He calls us to pray constantly. God commands and 
invites us to constant, persistent prayer with him, just as Jesus was always in prayer with the Father. Now, this certainly includes prayer gatherings. As Acts 1 says, that the, uh, the early disciples were, they joined together constantly in prayer. But it's also more than that. Um, it's, it's the daily, moment by moment, seeking after Christ that Colossians 3.1 commands, setting our minds on Christ who reigns from heaven. And it's what uh, Jesus in John 15 called abiding, of, of making our home in him. You know, Jesus says in John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I know we're, we're talking about prayer here at the beginning, but I also want you to notice that, that this is the first step in evangelism, that he, that he who abides in Christ bears much fruit. If you've ever taken a three-story evangelism training with Tim, he says over and over and over so that you get it. He says over and over and over again that your first, best, next step is always closer to Jesus. As you are seeking to engage with others and, and, and draw them closer to Jesus, your first, best, next step in that is always closer to Jesus. Recognizing your need for Jesus, you crying out for Jesus, you enjoying Jesus, and as you, know, as you en- enjoy him, you share that, you, you naturally share that which you enjoy. But apart from him, what, what does he say? He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Second, second manner in which we are called to pray is watchfully. Watchfully. Which begs the question, what is it that we are watching for? Um, you can turn your Bibles to, to Luke chapter 12, or again, uh, follow along up on the screen. And I think that uh, this, this parable that, that Jesus, this instruction that Jesus gives um, Helps us to see what it means to be watchful. Uh, Luke 12.35 says this, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table. And he will come and serve them. And that's surprising, right? Jesus said when he returns, those who he finds waiting and watching and being faithful, he will serve us. Um, continue on. What verse was that? Uh, verse 38. If he comes in the second watch, or in the third, and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left, left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. You see, we're watching for Christ's return. Verse 41, Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So we see there that faithfulness to be a faithful and wise steward of what we're given is that, is that we are denying ourselves, that we are submitted to the master. We're doing that which the master commands, which is serving the household. We are, we are serving others according to the master's heart. But in contrast to that, um, he says, Truly I say to you, he, he will set... Set him over all his possessions, but then the contrast, verse 45. 
But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk and gratify himself, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour that he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. So the contrast there, the unfaithful servant is one who who gets lazy, who stops expecting the Lord to return, stops expecting the master to return, and, and just pursues comfort, seeks to live for himself, pursues self-gratification. And we see that that's to the harm of others as he's beating the, the male and female servants. So what are we watching for? We're watching for the master to return. We're watching for Jesus to return. Paul has been speaking of that here in Colossians as he as he says at the beginning of chapter 3, that Christ is the hope of glory and that, and that when he appears, we will appear, when he appears again, we will appear with him in glory. And, and he also talks about the wrath of God that is coming. And, and here in this passage, he's, he's telling us to be alert to the times. To be alert to the times. That this is a special age that we live in where men and women have a fleeting opportunity to be reconciled to God. As watchmen, as we watch in prayer, we have a stewardship, a responsibility over the people that we are in relationships with. God has sovereignly placed you in the workplace that you're in. He has sovereignly placed you in the families that you're in, in the friendships, the relationships that you're in. God has ordained that you be a watchman in prayer over those that you are in relationship with. You as a watchman, you know, a watchman in, in those days would be stationed at the front of the city gates. And if the watchman saw danger coming, his responsibility, a faithful watchman, was one who stayed awake. And as he saw danger coming, he would alert the people in the town of the danger that is coming. We see God has revealed to us that he is coming. And there is great reward and glory for those who, who turn to Christ, who are reconciled to him. But for those who do not, there is great wrath. And so our responsibility is to be watchful in prayer, alert to the times, praying for those that we are in relationship with. And as, as watch, watchmen as well, to be watchful, we're also anticipating victory. We're anticipating that God's going to do something. And we're ready for it. Third manner of prayer that we're called to is with thanksgiving it's with thanksgiving and here is is the acknowledgement that christ is lord that he's in charge that he's the one who's working all things are good uh, this is where as we're participating with him in his plan to redeem the world that we recognize how he is working and we give him thanks for it uh, we see this um this pattern in uh in scripture where we're, you know, Philippians 4 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the promise being that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We have, we're to have a great urgency about the times that we're in, but not a great anxiety. We're to have a great urgency about the times, but not a great anxiety. God is at work. We can thank him for how he's at work. We can notice that and, um, and recognize that he's in charge and that that's good. Okay, what are we called to pray for? I'll go ahead and give you both of them, uh, God's side and our side. We're, we're called to pray for 
open doors for the gospel and for clear sharing of the mystery. Pray for open doors for the gospel and clear sharing of the mystery. As he's asking them to pray that God would open a door, um, he, he's asking that, that that he would pray that we would that the Colossians would pray that for him as he was in prison, as he was seeking to do ministry there. And he's like, open the door so that I would have opportunities to share the gospel. Give me many opportunities to, to share Christ with those that, that I am interacting with. I want to see the gospel spread. And so pray, please pray uh, that God would open that door and I would share it clearly uh, as he gives those opportunities. And I think primarily the application that we're to take from this is prayer for missionaries and, and church leaders, for those who are on the strategic front lines, like Peniel Gospel Team in India, you know, working among unreached people groups. We should pray that God would open a door for them to share the gospel. Um, we should pray for those who work with My Life Matters, who are, who are on those strategic front lines. We have about a, a dozen or so people here who, who work with My Life Matters, who are volunteering with My Life Matters. I mean, just, just pick one. Pick one and and partner with them in prayer. Pray that God would open doors for them and that they would share clearly. But as a principle, I think that we can also pray this for ourselves, that God would open doors for us, give us opportunities to share, and that we can pray this for one another. You know, what if in, in life together, my, my brothers and sisters, they pray that I would have open doors at State Employees Credit Union? What if I likewise pray earnestly for them that they would have open doors to share the gospel with their family members. You know, what if you partnered with someone here, you know, and you, you, you and that person, you consistently communicate and say, hey, pray for, pray for open doors with, with my son, with my brother, with, with, you know, with my parents. Open, pray that I would have opportunities to share the gospel with them. And pray that I would share it clearly. As we are seeking God for open doors, we, we acknowledge that we are dependent on Him to open the doors. And I, He may, I feel like I've been praying for open doors all week, and I, and, and I was just, just feel like I was just staying ready, staying ready, but doors weren't opening. And then Friday night, a door swings open. Last night, a door swings open. This today, I, I, I came here, I was going to work on the sermon. I had Christina's keys, I didn't have my church keys, I couldn't get in the building, but um, but there's a, a, a friend in this neighborhood who I haven't, been, haven't seen for months, but I've just been praying for open doors with him. And there he was, sitting out on the playground and, and had the opportunity to, to talk with him. As we pray for open doors, we need to look for those doors to open, right? We need to be like good soldiers who are ready for the door to be, to be blown open, and then we can rush in and do that which we've been given an assignment to do. It's, um, it's like baseball, uh, Baseball is one of my least favorite sports, um, probably for one because I was so terrible at it, uh, but also uh, there's just there's just not a lot of constant action. I love basketball where you're just constantly up and down, up and down. Um, Tar Heels went up and down on those Blue Devils last night. It was a lot of fun, um, but in baseball you just have to stay ready. As you're out in the field, you gotta you gotta stay ready, and the ball might not might not be hit to you all inning or all game. When I was playing in Little League, uh, Coach Kent put me out in right field. And there were many games that ball didn't come to me, and that's why they put me out in right field. <laughs> but I remember one time this left-handed hitter got up to hit, and um, 
and my dad, he, he knew the ball was coming to me, and he said, Casey, be ready. I said, okay. <laughs> I didn't understand left-hand hitters <laughs> hit the right field, but, but there, you know, pitch the ball, crack, it's coming right to me. I barely have to move. I stick up my glove, everyone, and it, it hits my glove. Everyone starts cheering, and then my glove falls off. It's <laughs> <sighs> just this collective sigh. Pick up the ball, throw it in. That was probably Brett yelling at me, but um, well, we have to, to stay ready. <laughs> stay ready. God's going to open doors. The gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. The word is spreading. Let's be ready. And when the doors open, we are to share the mystery clearly. To share it clearly. And when he calls it a mystery, I want us to recognize here that it's not a mystery because it's a secret. It's a mystery because it's a surprise. It's not plain in, as you look at creation, uh, you know, there's certain things that you can look out at the stars and observe. You can look out at, at mountains. You can look out at beautiful days like this. And you can see that God is powerful and that he made the world. But you don't know unless someone tells you that this creator came to his rebellious people, that he lived an entire life of righteousness, and then he died a death that he would never deserve for us, for his rebellious creation, so that we might be counted right with God. You wouldn't know that unless someone told you. You wouldn't even expect that. And so this, this long-hidden, now-revealed mystery of Christ is something that the Spirit of God has made known to us. And it's our responsibility, our stewardship, to make it known to others. And so we're, we're praying that we could share it clearly, that we could unfold it clearly. All right, final section, how we are to wisely engage outsiders. First means of, of wisely engaging outsiders is with moment-to-moment -moment worship of Christ. Moment-to-moment -moment worship of Christ. He says here in, in verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. You can also translate that as redeeming the time. The literal word there is buying back the time. And, and the, the picture here is, you know, in a parallel passage in Ephesians, he says, make the best use of the time, redeem the time because the days are evil. These, these days are evil, but, but we, as we live faithfully in them, we moment by moment offer up each passing hour to the Lord. Think about the, the uniqueness of your days. They might feel mundane, but those, each hour that passes is an hour that you'll never get back. It's an hour that will never be repeated again. And each hour is an opportunity to live in submission to God, to treasure Him in that hour, and to and to do that which pleases him. To, you know, to put this on the streets, it's, it's at the workplace to work for Christ, 
to work, you know, work hard because he is worthy of that and to do good to others through your workplace because Jesus is worthy. And each hour, passing hour of your ordinary mundane work is something that you and Christ are, are doing together. As well in your, in your families, it's not um, just an ordinary hour at the dinner table, right? It's something that you're stewarding for the glory of God and, and you're staying ready um, hoping doors will open, you have an opportunity to speak to your children, um, speak to your speak to your spouse, encourage them. Um, but in whatever roles that you're playing, you're you're walking with Christ and you're worshiping Him by by being obedient, by offering up that that hour to Him and living that hour with Him. And it goes back to being constant in prayer. We're constantly in prayer and we're living each hour for Him. Second way that we wisely engage outsiders is with salty speech. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt. Now this, this salt metaphor is very helpful. Salt is, you know, at least two primary ways that salt is used is as a preservative and for seasoning. So, you know, he's basically talking about our speech being attractive. Well, first of all, what would make it unattractive but if we were constantly spewing gossip or constantly complaining, I mean, how, how much do you like being around someone who constantly gripes and complains? Just the worst, right? I hate those people, right? They're the worst. Um, that's not attractive speech, right? And so we, we, we do the work of preserving by... Um, you know, as we learned in November from Brett's teaching in Philippians 2, we do all things without grumbling or disputing, so we might be blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like stars in a dark sky. But the other purpose of salt and what, what makes our speech attractive is, is seasoning. How many of you love to put salt on your food and, and your mom or... Your spouse or someone says, don't you put way too much salt on that. Any of you guys? Okay, I see Kathy looking at Rob. Okay, Peter. But what, let me ask you, Rob, why do you put salt on your food? Oh, it's actually Kathy? Uh-oh, you're getting on her? Okay, I'm going to get out of the middle of that. But why do, you, why, do we, why do we put salt on our foods? Make it taste better. Now, do you, you don't want to actually make it taste like salt, Peter. But what you're doing is you're, you're bringing out the flavor that's already there. You put some salt on those collard greens and you're bringing out that flavor. You know, maybe a bad example? Okay. Put some salt on, the, on those carrots and you're bringing out <laughs> that worst example. What do you like to eat, man? Fries? Fries. You put salt on your fries. Yes, and you bring out that potato. I mean, I love some good cooked vegetables. Do you put salt on your salad? No? Okay, I know you love chicken and salad. Yeah. Okay. But we, we, we salt something because we want to bring the flavor out. And our speech should be like that. It should, it should have an attraction to it, some flavor to it. So what gives our speech flavor? What makes it attractive? If our goal is that others would taste and see that the Lord is good, what gives them that taste other than us enjoying that the Lord is good? We need the gospel. 
on a daily basis. We need to be reminded of that surprising mystery. We need to, to see how good God is and to taste and see that he is good and to enjoy him. And as we are enjoying him, it makes our, our speech attractive for others. And it creates thirst in them to want to know more. The, the third and final way um, is with thoughtful, personal responses. Um, he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. What does that look like? Well, as we are conversing with people, each one is going to have their own objections, their own hang-ups uh, that keep them from coming to Christ, that are like weeds that we need to help them sort through. We, we are, part of our role is to help people to see the logical inconsistencies of their wrong beliefs. And, and uh, let me give you this as, as an example. You know, since we are being made to be like Christ, let me, let me just remind you of an example from his life. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus cast a demon out of a man. And the Pharisees object, their, their objection is, they said that he cast out demons by the power of Satan. Okay, so put yourselves in Christ's shoes in that moment. As they're saying, he cast out demons by the power of Satan. Would you feel a little uncomfortable, right? Feel like the heat is on you? Um, you know, that sort of thing can be scary with the name calling and the, the aggression. But how, how does Jesus respond? Well, he, he takes seriously their view for a moment. And he gives it a, a mental test drive. And he shows them the logical inconsistency that that, that leads to. If you, if you work out the logic of, of what you're saying here, he, he says to them, if Satan cast out Satan, then he's opposed to himself. And a house divided against itself cannot stand. And he, 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 he takes that mental test drive and he shows them the logical inconsistency of their wrong beliefs. And that's part of our role as well. As we, that's one way we, that we can wisely engage other people is to help them to see the inconsistencies of what they believe. Um, one way, one opportunity that I, that I want to give you guys in growing for that is, a is this course on tactics um, that's coming up on, on March 28th. And, and don't hear me saying that this is the only way that you can grow in this, but here is an opportunity to grow in, in learning how to help people see the logical inconsistencies of their views. This is a helpful tool as your tool belt, as Tim would say. Um, Greg Kokel, the guy who... who um, teaches this study, he says there's three elements that are important for being a good ambassador for Christ. One is knowledge, the other is character, and the other is wisdom. We, we need knowledge of the gospel, right? We can't share something, we can't teach something that we don't know, right? Okay, so you need knowledge. You also need good character. You know, if, um, if you're commending Christ to someone and yet you're not following him, him yourself, then you, know, you can't sell a product that you don't enjoy. And so we need, we need to witness through our character. And the third, uh, a third important element is wisdom. Uh, and that's you know, something that he feels like is often neglected in, in teaching people how to wisely um, you know, come back with, against people's objections, help them to see their logical inconsistencies. And it's something that we practice and grow in over a lifetime. And so if you want to grow in knowing how to help people see those inconsistencies, help them to work through their wrong beliefs and, and, and come to arrive at the truth, 
then here's one opportunity in doing this. I, I heard about this study from Steve about a decade ago, came back into my awareness recently, and like, man, I really want to grow in this myself, and man, I really would love to grow in it with my brothers and sisters, and so an opportunity to do that. Um, Again, not the only opportunity. You can just make friends with Steve and spend a lot of time with him, and he would teach it to you, but Steve's a busy guy, so if you're available on Sunday mornings, come check this out, okay? You can sign up at the back. Um, in closing, in closing, the main idea is that the kingdom will expand as ordinary Christians like us walk faithfully with Christ every day. If you were to uh, look at history and examine the explosion of the early Christian movement, you would see that after Paul, there is no prominent leader. There's no prominent group of missionaries who are pushing the mission forward. But instead, Christianity exploded as rank-and-file, ordinary Christians like us were faithful to share with their families, to share with their co-workers, to share with those that they were in relationship with. The, Paul is telling these ordinary Colossians, just as he would tell ordinary us, to be faithful in walking with Christ, in treasuring him moment to moment, in seeking God to do amazing things, and then being ready um, walking in wisdom toward outsiders, sharing Christ, planting seeds, trusting God to bring that harvest. And these Colossians, they got it. They got it. Oh, that we would get it too. Oh, you know, the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. It is spreading. It's spreading in places like India. It's spreading in Iraq. Is spreading in Iran, it's spreading in Venezuela, it's spreading in Nigeria, which is one of the deadliest places to be a Christian now, and yet the gospel is pushing forward. The gospel is spreading in person counting, and we get the privilege of playing a part in that. Let's pray. God, um, we're just ordinary people. We are we are broken, we are, we are weak vessels, we are, there's nothing special about us except that you call us yours. And as your sons and daughters, as instruments in your hand, God, you are a great God, and would you do great things through ordinary us. God, we offer ourselves to you. We're not, we don't have much to give you, but we give you all that we are, and we ask that you would be pleased to bear fruit through us and increase the knowledge of you to your glory and for the good of many. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.